Well, greetings, dear listeners. We are back with another episode of Redemption Meditations podcast. We just finished up a three-episode series on liturgy and worship, proper worship in the church, and we're going to really shift gears this time. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about Halloween. And before Mm. we really dig into Halloween, uh, we're going to talk about something much more significant. But it's appropriate to talk about Halloween because it's such a huge uh, cultural event in America. So we want to discuss that here in a little bit. It's a big holiday. People spend, you know, 10 billion plus dollars every year on Halloween. It's just, it, it, it can't be ignored. We, we need to deal with it somehow, some way. But before we get into Halloween, I'm going to ask these guys, what other significant event might, uh, may have occurred in history on October 31st? that uh, Christians should be aware of if they're not already. Um, I got nothing. Lee? Where did nothing. Dave has got my, nothing. Where did I put my hammer? <laughs> Get your hammer and nails. I, I had a Reese's. I had a Reese's for dessert. One mini Reese's. <laughs> I, there, there were 94 in the bag, but I only had one. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, of course, the Protestant Reformation. Yes, uh, the Protestant yeah, the, Reformation. So it was that's sort of the beginning uh, moment that the the hammer hits the wall. Whether whether Luther actually used a hammer or not, I have no idea. But um, that is the date, October thirty first, fifteen seventeen, when Martin Luther um, nailed his ninety five theses on the door at the church at Wittenberg in Germany, and it was that that sort of moment. That has symbolically become the start of the of the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's what we would call Reformation Day on October thirty first. That's when yeah. we remember this really significant event in history. And uh, Lee, give us just a little bit of the. I mean, we could go on for a really long time with this, but give us just the gist of. What what's Martin Luther's gripe with the Catholic Church? What's the problem? Why 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 has he got a beef with the with the church? And why are yeah. we going to hear about it now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Martin Luther had his own little festivist celebration, but yeah. <laughs> but but he was the ultimate insider, you know. Uh, so like he was fully immersed in the swamp, so to speak. Um, you know, he was a. Uh, uh, a monk, um, a very accomplished monk and a scholar, um, preaching and, and teaching students. And so he was, he was all in, uh, and then, uh, the book of Galatians kind of tore him apart and got him thinking, um, the main gripe, uh, with the 95 theses had to do with, uh, the sale of indulgences, which would be, um, you pay money to the church <clears throat> to either get yourself, uh, or your loved ones either entirely out of uh, the fictional fairyland of purgatory, um, either altogether or or lessen your sentence. And uh, of course, there was a, a big building project in Rome going on, so lots of extra money was uh, was certainly helpful. Um, and he tackles all of this, and it, so it was a common practice that if you had issues that you wanted to bring up for scholarly debate, uh, you would post them in the form of theses. 
Uh, you would have individual clear statements upon which a discussion could be had. And so if you actually read the 95 theses, it's basically 95 lines of varying length all uh, stating something. And they are – they're interlinked. There's a logical flow through them. And I, I'd highly recommend anybody – you can find them online – um, read through them there. It's very interesting. It, but it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that you would stake an entire reformation on, but it was the start <laughs> of the reformation. I think that's, that's the point uh, of the whole thing um, that the church didn't have the right to, to promise uh, this, um, this gift, uh, this, this right that you paid for uh to uh to get yourself or loved ones out of out of purgatory and that it was an affront to god to do so uh which obviously sparked quite the firestorm um because not only uh was this going to hurt the building project um for that cathedral in rome um but it was also and i think this is this might be really where it begins it's taking the word of god and throwing it up against uh papist teaching and the teachings beginning to fall apart. Um, it shows the brittleness of of papist dogma against uh, the word of God. Um, and that's something that would continue to happen uh, throughout Europe, um, starting here and, and growing and growing throughout the continent uh, and even into the uh, the islands as well. So, Yeah, and, and like history, and like any, any um, event in history, a war like the the American War for Independence or, or one of the World Wars. There's there's things that happen before it that, that kind of pave the way, and um and 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 even even the Reformation, like we mark that as the beginning, the 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 um 1517. We mark that as the beginning, uh, looking back on it. But I you know I think during those few years, 1718, 19, Luther didn't. Like he didn't intend it was why it's called the Reformation was because they wanted to see reforms in the church, not to be completely, you know, leave and and become Protestants. That that was a little bit later. Um, he wanted to see the church reform, and so it became a battle. And so so Luther wasn't like immediately a Protestant on October thirty first, fifteen seventeen. In fact. It, you know, a few years, I think you could probably put a better date on when the, when the, the, the diet of worms, right. The Dita Verm, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the, here I stand, I can do no other when he was sort of forced to say, here's what I believe. Um, but yeah, so, so, and the reformation is the, is a continuum. So it, it we say that it started then there was some pre reformation stuff um, getting to that point. And then, and then from that, and it really, I, I think, um, yeah, the indulgences, but it's, he starts in a really interesting place. He starts with repentance. That's number one. When the when our Lord Jesus called us to repent, he, um, I forget how it's worded. All of life was to be of repentance, and and he kind of compares it to, or contrasts it with penance, which is really where it goes to indulgences and sort of working to earn. Um, good graces with God versus repentance, which is a gift from God and, and puts you like uh, you experience God's grace at repentance. It's not like you have to build up to it. Um, and, and I think that's important. And then as you see the Reformation unfold over the next 
I, however long, right? As you see it unfold over the decades and other teachers and uh, like, I really like the, the English Reformation, right? That's where sort of our roots are. And I think it's a continuation of what was started uh, by Luther, was really developed by guys like Calvin um, and then Knox, like sort of right after Calvin or kind of in the same time. And then um, the English uh, reformers, uh, the Puritans and, and the nonconformists and the Baptists, um, the particular Baptists. Yeah, we look to this particular date as sort of the beginning of this process, but it's not it's not like, uh, you know, the 4th of July, the Declaration of Independence. All right, we're out. He's trying to he really is trying to change the way business is done within the only church at the time. And that just doesn't work out over the course of many, many years. And that gives birth to all of the Protestant churches we know today and some who have come and gone, but uh, that, that yeah. really changed the face of Christianity all the, all around the world. What uh, We've talked a lot about what church looks like at RBC, but just, uh, just give us just a little taste of how different it was, you know, on, on October 30th, 1517, right? How, how, how radical ha has what we think of as church changed compared to what was going on prior to all the reforms that have taken place since? Well, I think one of the biggest things is that most, your, your uh, typical churchgoer did not have a copy of the scripture, had never read a copy of the scripture. Um, so they, they only know what they're being told. So you have, you have priests, especially when you get into rural areas, and a lot of, a lot of times the priests are illiterate. They're just, they're just memorizing, you know, if they're living out in the country, like in Logansville, say, you're just, they're just, Logansville in Europe, um, they're just they just have memorized prayers, memorized things that they would say. They didn't even know what the scripture said. And so that that's becomes one of the high emphases of the Reformation is um, so sola scriptura. So and you hinted at this or, or hit at this, Steve, the, the authority of scripture becomes the highest authority. Um, but the fact that that the common uh church going um you know who was who was trying to trust in christ but he did not have the scriptures at all he didn't he had to trust that his priest was telling him the truth and often those masses not only did he not have the bible he's hearing it in latin yeah. and yeah. they don't speak latin yeah so uh, you know imagine me preaching every week in latin some of I our cannot. only only a few homeschoolers would have any idea what I was saying, <laughs> <laughs> and some of them would. That's not a. That's not a. <laughs> some would, yeah. Some would, not me, but some. Yeah, yeah me either. Yeah, I'd be <laughs> lost too. Yeah, I thought about possibly getting into the the five solas, but I think we should dedicate an entire podcast to just camp out there. So we'll save that for another. That'll be another another podcast down the road so you know another uh, aspect of church too that that would be different at the time as well is um not only did people not understand but they were basically compelled to go to church uh every day um like it was like you spent a lot of time hearing latin you didn't understand and 
um, <laughs> and also in a performative way. Like it, you, you watched, and I mentioned this in a previous episode. You watched worship happening. Um, yeah, you the the yeah. faith that was saving you was the faith of your priest, not your own faith. You were basically relying in your priest to believe on your behalf. Um, and it connected with that was um, even things like the the supper that was they were they were so the supper was the Eucharist they call was central to their worship. So for for Protestants for us and we talked about this the the preaching of God's word is and so the pulpit is central. You walk in that's what you're seeing, and um, for them it was the altar, and um, and the priests would be able to withhold. Uh, communion from them and that meant that they were not ensuring their salvation and if you were if you were able to take it you would only be able to take the bread not the cup a big a big uh uh, shouting point for the for the reformation was uh being able to take the supper in both kinds uh bread and cup um usually the cup was only for the priest and the bread for the priest and the the congregants so that's a big difference too yeah yeah Yeah. okay so let's get into it here let's uh let's talk about halloween and what we should think about that and how we should respond to that as christians i want to so my first uh question to you guys is you will see inevitably there's almost always a news story about this there will be some church that is going to do a uh a judgment house or a hell house or some version of a haunted house. And it's there. They're going to present that as their uh, seasonal version of evangelism. It's going to be, I'm sure it'll be in the news Spooky here. Evangelism. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, is that something that you guys could ever see redemption Bible church doing and uh, why, or why not? I hope not. Lee hopes not. Lee, Lee, why? Why do you hope not? What are you so Um, down on the haunted houses, Lee? (laughs) Uh, I've been through hell houses before, and uh, they definitely emphasize more on on hell than the gospel. That's for sure. Um, I you never get a a a a well balanced gospel law gospel distinction uh, in the hallways of the hell house. So. So that's one problem. I, the The evangelism part of spooky evangelism uh, doesn't go very well. Um, and two, it's it's just another it's another example of one of those like what you win people with is what you win them to. And so, mm-hmm. if you're selling an experience, you know, if you're selling something so visceral uh, and and shocking, then when you when you're not continually upping the ante on that and being more and more shocking. Um, then uh, then you lose people because you never really had them. So I I would rather I would rather have the spotlight be on <clears throat> on Christ and his cross than uh, a a staged terrible car accident or some other horrible uh, scene. I, I've uh, you know there's been scenes of of things that I wouldn't even want to talk about on a podcast that I've walked through in a hell house before. So. Um, definitely, definitely not a fan of that route. Yeah. So I I think there's two things. One is it's uh, just a, um, maybe you're getting at the the peak of emotional manipulation. 
right? When you're when you're trying to scare someone um, into heaven and um, or out of hell or whatever, um, uh, it, you're really just it, it's just emotional manipulation. You scare you put some kids in that situation. And you're going to scare them. You can get them to say whatever. Um, especially if you have some kind of authority or their youth pastor or something like that, you can you can get a response. And that, and I don't think any of that's genuine. And again, it goes to what Lee said about what you win them to is what or what you win them with is what you win them to. And um, I, years and years ago, I think uh, probably in two thousand and five, something like that, uh, before I uh, I was a youth pastor, so I, really before I was reformed in any way. Um, so I believed a lot of different things, but I, I was just brand new into ministry, brand new out of college. And um, uh, I went out to uh, Saddleback Church in California to a purpose-driven youth ministry conference. And this has always stuck with me because it was actually really, really good. The youth pastor of that church, his name was Doug Fields. He's not there anymore, I don't think. But he, he said, look, we're in Orange County. Um, California. We're in the same county as Disneyland, and everybody who lives in the county gets discounted year, uh, like seasonal passes to Disneyland. We cannot compete with that. Think of the irony of that statement coming from Saddleback. But he says, we cannot compete with that as far as entertaining. We have to go, you know, I forget how he put it, but basically, um, we have to build relationships with the kids is what he was talking about. But that whole idea of we cannot compete with that has always stuck with me when it comes to music or any of these things. You're really just talking about entertainment. And some people love the scary horror type of entertainment. That's why they go to haunted houses. They want that adrenaline rush. They want that kind of entertainment. It's not really my thing, but a lot of people like that. And there's so many, um, there's so many, honestly, there's so many people who could do it 10 times better than Christians do these things, you know, whether it's a movie or whatever, if you're just looking at it for an entertainment standpoint, just do that. Like don't or even, even rock and roll people. worship bands. Yeah. It's, it's kind of all in the same category. Don't, don't even try and compete with those things. We're doing something totally different. Don't cheapen it by taking, taking on world, those worldly methods. Yeah, I, I agree. I It's definitely a no vote for me as far as uh, haunted houses at RBC. I think it's just, it's not I'm glad you, a... I'm uh, glad you cleared we, it up for anybody it's a, We can all be there. relieved. We have unity on this call. I, I think that... Uh, we have, we like, have like quorum you, on this uh, meeting. Yes, we're good. We're good. Ben, ben <laughs> yeah. is going to be so sad that this is oh, a chance. Oh, poor Ben. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's going to be yes, disappointed listening to this. right now. Yeah. <laughs> so Put away the paper mache. Sorry. <laughs> So let's talk about uh, just some things that are, uh, you know, we're not the final authority on on some of these things, but we just want to offer some of our our perspectives on some of these things. We'll get into um, Christian liberty here in a second, but just if somebody came to us, a member of our church, and said, "Hey, I've got, you know, my my six year old daughter wants to uh, go trick or treating." Um, there's certainly churches that would say, you know, absolutely no way. And there's churches that would say, we'll go buy her, a, you know, a witch hat and everything in between. Um, hmm. What, what are, share, just share your thoughts on, you know, just the practice that almost everybody in our culture does that. And you're going to have people at your church who 
are are having to figure out, well, what should our family do? It's going to be their call, but if they came to you for wise counsel on that, what would your thoughts be on that question? Well, uh, you know, I so I've got a couple of kids and, and they're in their 20s now. So um, we've kind of been through all of this and I've gone back and forth, honestly. Um, you know, when we lived in a in, in an in-town setting, um, we lived in an area where uh, all of the neighbors came out on Halloween and walked up and down the street. And it actually was a time like literally we were out there handing out candy and, and like it was one of the few times that all of the neighbors were out at the same time. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was really kind of cool, actually, from that standpoint, um, you know, that we could walk to and say hello to like I would walk with with my boys and, and, and my wife would stay at home and hand out some candy on our front porch. And, and I would walk with our boys and, and collect candy. And one year, my older son um, went as a whiteboard, like literally he had a whiteboard <laughs> strapped. Left. So it wasn't like our kids were, you know, dressed up like scary, whatever. It was just sort of like a costume party. It wasn't For a blood us. spattered whiteboard. <laughs> right. right, right. Uh, yeah, fingernails down the chalkboard. Type. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was just, I mean, and I don't, so, so that was, uh, I don't know, 15, almost 20 years ago. Um, I, I've gone back and forth when I see what's going on in our society and the increasing paganization of our society and the increasing, uh, and it's really been in the last 20 years, maybe less than that, but especially yeah. the last 20 years. There's so, so yes, when I, even when I was a kid in the eighties, late seventies, early eighties, there were other kids that were dressing up like, you know, the uh, Friday, the 13th, you know, or Freddie or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, there was that kind of stuff, but it, it seems like it's 10 times worse or yeah. I don't know, astronomically worse now, right? You go into Lowe's and you're confronted by these Nephilim uh, skeletons, <laughs> right? These giant skeletons <clears throat> that cackle at you because of the motion detectors or whatever. It just, it, it seems like it's worse. So, so that's just decoration. I understand that. Those are just like the inflatables or whatever, but there is, an evil in our society that is increasing, um, it, whether it's the Romans one um, evil, that's part of it. But there is a there's just an increasing evil. And so I'm, I'm increasingly uneasy with participation in, in that. Well, and Halloween has been peculiar, peculiarly uh, become uh, attached to a lot of those those trends. Uh, it seems like the the increasing paganism of our times really centers on Halloween. And part of I think part of that is, uh, you know, wannabe pagans look back to pre-Christian Europe and in the Samhain tradition or Samhain, however you pronounce it, um, pagan festival, Celtic pagan festival. Um, but but to just to speak like modern in modern ways, you already mentioned, Dana, the the creep out factor of things, you know. Um, you just throw some fake blood on something and turn it creepy, uh, yeah. or monsters, either cryptids or, or, uh, horror movie character costumes. I used to be completely freaked out as a kid to even walk by 
the uh, the Halloween section of of the store uh, because of the scary masks, and there would always be some sort of giant spider or something, just things that you could just know, you knew were evil. Um, and then the, the the whole other aspect of of revelry and rebellion uh, that has become synonymous with Halloween um, and um, and immodesty. Uh, you know, there's been a trend of of increasingly immodest costumes um that influencers push and so you know talking to that family part of part of the reason i would um especially you know given their conviction i would encourage not to go out is because you know your kids likely going to see things that you're going to have to talk about when you come home <laughs> and if you if you're careful about what they're watching on tv i think you're going to have to be equally as careful about um whether you go out trick or treating, because I think there's lots of people dress in unprecedented ways, um, either in a scary way or otherwise provocative way on Halloween in a way that they wouldn't dare do other times. Um, yeah, so I it does, it does a, seem like contemporary Halloween is like opening a portal to all sorts of weird, dark stuff in, in your, in your streets of your, of your neighborhood. Yeah. We would definitely caution anyone against opening portals. Um, Don't open yeah, the portals, bad idea. Man. That's a bad <laughs> yeah. idea. Yeah, I think there's a connection between, uh, you were hitting on this, Lee, there's a connection between death and destruction, which is a lot of what it has become, that celebration of that, um, and uh, promise, like, sexual immorality. Uh, immorality, yeah. yeah. There, there's definitely a connection. And there's also, and this is especially in the last couple decades um an increase like as we are having a hard time growing up americans um older and older people like one of the things we've noticed and we haven't actually because of where we live we don't really get trick-or-treaters but we've gone to some friends houses before and and you know sat on the front porch and so it's, it's been a few years but um you you get people who are in their early 20s they had a baby and um this infant has got you know some kind of costume on but really it's mom and dad are still trick-or-treating mm -hmm. and so not it's not even just into the teenagers anymore it's even into the 20s and i'd probably even beyond that you know like really you're out trick-or-treating i don't even want to give you candy like just come yeah. <laughs> i mean i'm giving you a tootsie roll <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can go buy them at family dollar <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, go back going back to one thing I forgot to mention, but there has been a, an uptick in recent years of people um, instead of calling it Halloween, they're actually celebrating the Mexican holiday Dia de los Muertos Day of the Dead Ooh. that uh, like the the universal symbol of that is like a little sugar skull. And in fact, this year there was I saw this online. Um, they released a Dia de los Muertos Barbie who her face literally is a skull. Wow. Wow. I did that. I have not seen. I'm in different online places than you are. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the, the Barbie mean world, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, my, my experience is similar to Dana's because my kids are older. So there was a time when, when my kids were little, we did trick or treating. And then there were other times when I, we didn't. So we were kind of fell on both sides of this. I think that, uh, you know, I think that that a great deal of caution is in order when we consider the times we're living in. If somebody had 
little children and they live in a neighborhood with a lot of little children and somebody, you know, Susie wants to dress up like a butterfly and go get candy. I pro I would, I would not be able to bring myself to say, get thee behind me, Satan to Susie, you know? Um, but there, there are certainly, uh, things out there where we need to have a healthy dose of caution. And, and part of the reason why I wanted to bring up that specific question is there are undoubtedly faithful Christians who are going to land in different places yeah. and, and be re feel really strongly convicted and have great reasons to be mm -hmm. and end up doing different things. Um, there are certainly things that I think we would all agree are just way outside the barriers of what, what is, uh, wise yep. but within those barriers there's going to be some christian liberty and i thought th this might be a good time to just talk about that a little bit so we can talk about what that is how it should be used and exercised and how it shouldn't be and uh so if one of you guys want to just give us a a a sense of what we mean when we use that term christian liberty go ahead lee <laughs> Christian liberty is uh, is all about matters of conscience. So you know the the Bible doesn't have an exhausted list of of sins and virtues. You know, so the the Bible isn't listing out every possible sin that you could commit. Um, and so you know, um, the a good verse is you know to to do a thing that that you don't do in faith is sin. Um, and I wish I'd I'd grabbed the reference on that, but it's it's escaping me. But anyway. Um, so Christian Liberty is about, about, uh, matters of the conscience. You know, if, if you are, if you feel uncomfortable in your spirit and you've got, if you, and you've got reasons for why, uh, you don't want to do a thing or, or you do want to do a thing that isn't explicitly a sin, um, then, you know, before God, you, you have the liberty to do that. Uh, we need to, um, conscience, listening to your conscience is something that, you know, we used to hear in the culture a lot. It's it's a a, a matter of common grace. Um, everyone has a conscience, um, and that's that's why in Romans one, you know, it's so it's such an indictment against sinners uh, that, that that they're in effect searing their conscience as they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Uh, and and we we see a decreased sense in our culture of of uh, conscience. Um, but for, so for the Christian, you know, prayerfully considering things. Um, that aren't explicitly made out to be a sin in scripture um, is good and right and healthy. And uh, and we, uh, as fellow Christians, and especially as elders in the church, should not bind consciences where scripture hasn't made that plain. Um, that's why, you know, we can offer counsel, but ultimately, you know, we we will answer to the Lord for our actions, not, not, to, uh, not to each other, not to us, not to ourselves. Um, right. So, so to do what's right before God, um, looking through your conscience, uh, getting counsel both from the Word and and from trusted um, advisors, you know, your your elders at church, uh, trusted folks um, in your life, fellow Christians, Christians who are older than you, especially, uh, are good guides on things as well. But but Christian liberty um, is an important thing that we shouldn't under underlook, especially when it comes to issues like these. Yeah, and I think like there there are things even even within that con uh, that conversation. There's um 
there are laws in preaching to Leviticus. I, I just keep coming back to this because it's always on my mind, but there are laws in Leviticus about like um, the, you know, stay away from um, uh, uh, necromancy and like trying to summon the dead, you know, those kinds of things. And, and I, when, when we think about Halloween, we often think, Oh, it's, it's just pretend it's just, um, uh, you know, there's nothing really there. We're just putting on a costume. We're just going out trying to scare each other and, and, and all of that. Um, but, but the reason that those laws are there is not because there's nothing like there's no re you know, it, it's not because that stuff seances and stuff is a waste of time. It's because it's actually dangerous and demonic. And so when we're, we're actually flirting with some of those things in some of the um, patterns that we're having with, with Halloween and, and all of these kinds of things. And so I'm kind of getting a little bit away from the Christian liberty, but I think that needs to inform our Christian liberty, right? So Steve gave the example of a little girl that dressed like a butterfly and wants to go, you know, just kind of show off to the neighbors and get some candy. I don't have any problem with that. Um, but there are elements to the whole kind of the big picture of this whole holiday um, that are just so steep. They're more evil than we even realize. And I, I think if I was doing it over again, and this is where I want to be careful, I'm not trying to bind anybody's conscience, of course, but if I was doing it over again, if I knew now, you know, and had, had two little kids now, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't participate. I would instead, you know, like, Instead, celebrate Reformation Day. Dress up like your favorite reformer, you know, and and <laughs> and nail the ninety-five Reeses to the door, or whatever. <laughs> like, ha have some fun with it, you know, and and um, but use it to like, okay, this is actually what is in the devil horns on the pope. Right. <laughs> What'd you say? Pin the devil horns on the pope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, the pope is the Antichrist. Um, so so there's some there's some fun that you can have with it i'm not opposed to having fun or getting candy. i mean i like candy as much as anybody um but have a soup cook <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um and and i just i just think that even within the there's things i think it goes under a wisdom issue so even though you are free um you have the liberty to do some of those things I think you got to be really careful and I think it depends on the context as well. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're sending your teenager out to do some of that stuff, the, I don't know. I just think that there's some real danger in all of these things. I, I'm glad um, you mentioned about risks because I, I think another aspect of it too, there is a bit of an identity risk as well. So going back to Leviticus, a big aspect of a lot of those laws were, keeping Israel peculiar among the nations. They made, it made yeah. them odd and awkward. And I think the church could use a little bit more awkwardness when it comes to the culture. So in some ways, you know, and again, it's up to the conscience, but in some ways you can appear to be aligning yourself with the agenda of what Halloween has become in our culture by participating in it. Um, not, you know, not saying that you can't, couldn't go out there and be salt and light to people or, or pass out tracks or whatever it may be. But if, if you're out there dressed like a witch, like everybody else, you know, you are uh, unidentifiable <laughs> as a child, yeah. externally as a child of God uh, in that, in the rabble. Um, so, so to a certain degree, you know, there, there's an identity aspect 
to these kinds of things, which makes me consider, say, the history of um, <clears throat> the Christian festival of All Hallows Eve, which goes back all the way to the seven or eight hundreds. I, I can't remember, which was intentionally trying to um, overcome Samhain as a festival by having a, a Christian festival that hijacked the themes. Um, was that was that necessary? Was that a good thing? I don't know. Some people could say yes. Some people could say no. Um, to a certain degree, I'd rather just clean the calendar <laughs> and, and tell people just go to church. I don't know. You know, you know yeah, what I celebrate mean? Celebrate the Sabbath. Celebrate yeah. the Sabbath. Yeah. It's yeah. like actually have an actual real Christian holy Sabbath. day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I think I, one of the, uh, one of the things, you know, in Romans 14, Paul talks about Christian liberty a little, a little bit. And one of the things we have to remember is, our conscience may be in one place, but, you know, you would talk about the little girl who wants to dress up like a butterfly. Most of us are not going to like put her on blast for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But you could also have a someone else, new Christian, grew up in a cult, was a practicing, practicing witchcraft, who might be really sensitive to all of these themes that are out there running around in the neighborhood who doesn't want anything to do with it. One of one of the important aspects of Christian liberty is that we're not going to burden a, another brother or sister. Yeah. So, it doesn't mean we we're we're all like sort of bound by the lowest common denominator. This is a problem for this guy, so now everybody in the church, that's not what that means. But <laughs> we do want to be sensitive to where someone else is and make sure we're not being a stumbling block block for that person and burdening them where for them this is just out of bounds what point of personal privilege <laughs> can, can, can i tell away. a brief can i tell a brief personal story yes so as uh, so homeschool kid growing up in in logansville there was no trick-or-treating right like half of the people down my road were amish the other half were my family and so like but so i don't have whiskey you're gonna like go to the Amish and get a pie or something do you guys have candy just, <laughs> they give you a, just an a, apple an old corn cob or something i don't know yeah but anyway so i don't have wistful memories necessarily of trick-or-treating but i i think one thing that was uh that was fun was that cost costumes were liberated from the tyranny of October 31st. And so like you've got the little girl who wants to dress up as a, as a uh, butterfly, let her dress up as a butterfly, even though it's not Halloween, you know, if she wants, <laughs> if she wants to do that on some random Wednesday night, uh, let her put the costume on, you know, I, I think I was born in a Batman cowl and cape. Uh, I wore that <laughs> thing to death when I was a kid. Um, and it didn't have to, it wasn't just on Halloween. So, you know, the, these things that the, the culture says like, oh, it's Halloween. We got to, got to put the costume on. You got to, you got to go trick or treating. Like if you want to put, if you want to be Iron Man for the day as a kid, be Iron Man. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like yeah. we don't have to yeah, build it up to be this thing. You can, you can wear a costume as a kid anytime, unless you're going to school, then probably don't do that. But, <laughs> but I was Batman yeah. at school because I was homeschooled. So there you go. There's another perspective on on Halloween that I, I, I want to throw out there. And that is um, uh, there are and I, I didn't know about this until recently. There are those that advocate going ahead and dressing up in things as a way to mock those who have been defeated, the, the evil forces that have been defeated. Yeah. 
you know, like I'm yeah. going to I'm going to dress up like the devil and act like an idiot because the <laughs> devil's an idiot and he's lost. And I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I think about it, but I, but I found a, a quote. Let me let me read this. This is from um, Brandon uh, Weeks. Weeks? Meeks? What's his last name? I think it's um, I think it's Meeks. Meeks. Yeah, I think it's Meeks. Like inheriting uh, he, the earth. He's not. OK, he's not listening to this anyway, but he said this. He said, in the beginning, God created dates and days, separated times and seasons, and then pronounced them good. Pagans with their pygmy gods usurped the days God's claimed for himself. They sought to fill them with significance, but ultimately failed because they were already full. Then in a dramatic turn of events, God turned the world upside down, shook those days loose, and reclaimed them for himself. The strong man entered death's house and plundered his goods. Death was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. The culprit even made off with the house keys, Revelation 1.18. Among other things, this means that the devil has no days. When Jesus died and rose again, he conquered sin and death, but he also conquered the calendar. This is an idea wow. of... Wow. Uh, That's yeah, Southern that, poet, man. <laughs> that, that Halloween is just... It's God's. You, you, you want to act like a devil for one day? Do it in mockery, mocking the now. I, I, I don't know that I'm advocating that. There's some danger in all of that, right? Speaking of portals, yeah. There's some danger in all of that, but there is a truth to like, we don't want to give too much power and authority to the evil, the spiritual forces of evil, so that we're running and hiding from them, right? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah. so the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians, right? There is spiritual forces of evil. They are at work in our world. We are seeing an increased paganization, secularization in our society. These things are becoming more and more mainstream. But I don't want to give those spiritual forces of evil too much authority. They have they have power, um, the, the power of, of death and destruction. Um, and, and they are mock worthy because Christ has conquered. But it is it's the gospel that it can overpower any of the death and destruction um, that the, that these spiritual forces of evil are trying to, to uh, wreak in havoc on, on our society. It kind of reminds me of um, what, when, uh, when Satan would, would buffet Martin Luther, he would just like fart at him or, <laughs> or <laughs> send him away with a fart. I resist the devil and often it that's is with a, a fart way to go. That I yeah, the quote is, I resist the devil, and often it is with a fart that I chase him away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so get yeah, your beans the, on and, October 30th, right? <laughs> even in his in his um, uh, mighty fortress, right, he says, one little word shall fell him. And he, he doesn't really explain what that word is. Um, but but that word is, I mean, the, the it, it's the gospel. Right. It's it's Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It's it like the gospel is powerful to destroy strongholds. And so uh, those strongholds are strong. It, it, Steve mentioned, um, you know, what if somebody comes that has grown up in or been involved in like witchcraft or something? I actually think that's going to become more and more common where where people are going to come to Christ they're going to come to our churches they're going to be our neighbors whatever that are that are new Christians and they've actually come out of witchcraft hey, they've Andy. actually come out of some of these actual pagan false religions um and they and they see 
some of these pretend things like Halloween, they see it for what it is or what it, at least what it represents. They want nothing to do with it. And I think that type of new believer or convert to Christianity is actually on the, on the rise Hmm. as opposed to like a generation ago where the people that we knew that were becoming Christians were coming out of lapsed Catholicism or lapsed Methodism or something like that. So the Christian background, Christian family background, but in, in an increasingly pagan society, we're seeing increasingly pagan people get saved. Like the, yeah, uh, I would not. Uh, I would not want to encourage people to sort of seek out the devil so that they can kind of pick a fight and mock him. You know, you want to <laughs> aggravate the devil. Right. Uh, turn to Christ and praise. He hates that, and, and and celebrate his victory. We know in the end, Jesus wins, and that's all. That's great, but there can be an unhealthy fascination uh, with evil thinking, well, I'm just doing the, the work on the side of good. And, and that's, uh, that's problematic. That is, that is, uh, rubbing up against portal opening in a, in a dangerous <laughs> way that we don't want to be, we don't want to be messing with that kind of thing. Right. Okay. So, uh, any last thoughts on Halloween or the reformation or anything? I looked. I looked up the verse regarding the uh, the con. Like the thing that came to mind, converts that had you know done dark practices and and things and and come out of that. Uh, always, it puts me in mind of the uh, um, the the people that practiced uh, witchcraft in Acts. Who they Acts nineteen. It's actually Acts nineteen nineteen, and they uh, they they trusted in Jesus, repented of their sins, and then what was the very next thing they did? Burned all their books. <laughs> And uh, yeah. not that I condone book burning generally, but, you know, books of witchcraft, you know, they're they're good kindling uh, and it's it's good. Repent your sins and then burn some things that you need to burn. Uh, and and yeah. I, I agree with you, Dana. I, I do think we're going to see that more and more uh, in the coming years, that 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 same kind of conversion. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so. Uh, last thing before we wrap up here, what have you read? What would you recommend to people you feel like that would be helpful for them to check out and maybe read? Dana, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I have two. Um, the first is, uh, and, I, and I don't have a copy of it here. I, I must have loaned it to somebody. Fitting with all of this is Scriptive Letters by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Woo! Knowing that it's 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 a, a work of um, fiction, you know, like he he put it together. But I I think there's some real wisdom in what Lewis was saying and how the devil works, at least how he potentially works. So I think that's a good one to read and just sort of be thinking about. And then um, the other one that I that I would heartily recommend is by John Calvin. It's a little book, a, a little book on the Christian life. Um, we went through this in Sunday school several years ago now. And it's easy. It's it, even though it's Calvin, it's easy to read. It's not, and it's just really, really helpful. A little book on the Christian life, and that's a fresh translation too. I think Burke Parsons and somebody else did the translating on it as well. So it's a recent translation too, if I'm remembering right. How about you? Um, I have two as well, but one is a video, a YouTube video. Is this is this allowable? Oh yeah, fire away. 
Okay, sweet. Um, so every year Ligonier, well, Ligonier did a a um a feature film several years ago on uh the life of Luther. Um, and it's it's really well done. Um, and they re-release it uh on YouTube every year around this time. It's called Luther, The Life and Legacy of the German Reformer. It's an hour and a half documentary. Uh, it is fantastic. Um, really, really good. I'll put a link um in the notes. I really highly encourage anybody to to watch it as long as it's still out there on YouTube. Um so good. Uh so that's a timely one. And this one, uh, I don't know it's if it's quite as timely, um, but it, it is a, a perennial issue. And this is a really good book. Another short book, uh, very similar in form factor to the little book on the Christian life. This is encouragement for the depressed by Charles Spurgeon. And it's, ah, man, I even practiced this anyway, there it is. My it's library just wants like to get it back up. Like a ghostly, you're going in and out of yeah. <laughs> your copy at home shouldn't disappear. Yeah, <laughs> it should stay in your hand. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that is a really good book. Spurgeon is one of the greats on on so many things, but especially on the issue of depression and, and handling depression as a Christian um, and how the hope of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength and that and that he's your hope uh, in in trial. So. What, really what's good. That title again? Encouragement for the depressed. Okay. Nice. And I have the it's a Crossway Short Classics. It's actually a series of of short devotional works that they've republished in in some nice little pocketable volumes. So, really good. Really good. Excellent. So, well, I'll help Dana out. I have the screw tape letters right there. If somebody <laughs> wants to know what it looks like, here's one of the covers. There's there's several different ones, but there's one. Um, my book is, uh, the Valley of vision. Mm. So again, kind of, I've, I've sort of stuck with a theme here of if, if somebody, they don't know what to do as far as their prayer life or personal devotion time. Great book for that. It's really, it's not a huge book, but I mean, it's chock full and you could just go through it. There are different sections in it. If you wanted to jump around or you could just start at the beginning and work your way through. But if you're uh, somebody who just, man, I know I should sit down with my Bible. I know I should pray. I don't know how to, do, I didn't grow up doing this. How do I do this? Great book for that. Uh, a great book to do by yourself or with your family or however you want to do it, but a great resource to have. It would be a good one to buy if you wanted to just have have something on your shelf as a as a reference tool for, for personal devotional uh, time at home. Yes, it's excellent. Yeah. All right. Uh, if there's uh, no, no more commentary on uh, Halloween, then Lee, I think you're up. Bless us out. Sweet. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.